survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. This season, our third season, we want to help our listeners learn how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organizations, how to minimize disruption, and even normalize the concept that change is usual. We plan to do this by exploring the eight tenets or themes to drive meaningful, impactful, and sustainable change in an organization, and we covered these tenets in season two. For a recap, check out our ninth episode in season two, where we do a review of the eight tenants. This season, we're bringing a variety of guests, and we'll talk to these guests and learn about how they've put some of these principles into practice. Today, I'm happy to have Holly Chasen Young with me. Holly is someone that I've grown to admire in just a few short years, although it feels like I've known her forever as she's what I would describe a kindred spirit when it comes to helping leaders realize positive and sustainable change. She describes herself as a customer whisperer, which I would love to hear all about in just a moment. Holly also describes herself on LinkedIn as the chief troublemaker or the founder and CEO of Wonderbolt Labs. So if you haven't guessed it by now, Holly has a wonderful sense of humor and is bright and a cheerful spirit helping a lot of clients. Prior to Wonderbolt, she spent a number of years at Capital One doing product discovery work and was a design strategist as well. Holly is someone that I go to for questions when I'm trying to understand creative ways to think differently about a solution or problem, especially since she is one of the early adopters of design thinking. I think Holly has a wonderful blend of understanding what is needed to create positive change and a positive customer or employee experience. And she also incorporates how design thinking and change management can create that positive change. It's a brilliant convergence of skill sets. So enough from me. Let's have Holly share her background. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I have a background in design thinking strategy, and I do like to combine that with organizational change management, instructional design, and facilitation. And so it is that convergence that you mentioned. And I started my company about four years ago because I wanted to use design thinking strategy and product strategy frameworks with different industries and different organizations who are looking to launch new products or services, improve products or services, tap into and boost their creativity, and just make work a lot more rewarding. So now I consult to startups, small companies, and large enterprises on these practices. And it's things like helping them do more experiments, harness more of their creativity, be more iterative, in their work and focus on the experiences and unmet needs of their customers and users, consumers, whatever word they want to use. So I work in a fractional capacity for other firms. I love to work as a coach and a teacher. I design and conduct loads of virtual workshops, especially in the past 18 months. 
And while I have been focused mostly on design thinking strategy, I am looking to do more focus on how to amp up more creativity and how we approach organizational change. Ooh, that's interesting. (laughs) First of all, I love the idea of bringing some of these tools that you have to the table to, quote unquote, just make work more fun. Let's be real. We spend a lot of time at work. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average time spent working in 2020 was 7.7 hours. Out of all developed nations, the U.S. has one of the longest working hours. That 7.7 is just an average, meaning many more Americans have a longer workday than that. So I really love this idea of making work more pleasurable for people. Maybe in the future, work won't have to feel, well, like work. So I want to take a moment to step back and talk about design thinking strategy, what it is exactly and what it can accomplish. Design thinking strategy, design thinking is, I would say, a framework or a set of problem-solving tools to help with strategy when creating new products or services or maybe reimagining products and services. So very simply, problem-solving framework. It's been around for hundreds of years. I'd say it's been popularized in the last 25 years or so definitely coming out of a lot of the products in Silicon Valley and a firm called IDEO in partnership with the D School at Stanford. But it is something that they popularized and sort of packaged it up. And you'll find many consultants and universities teach and think about design thinking. I would say what's unique about it is some of what I mentioned, like the strong focus on the customer going into an opportunity really focused on that opportunity and what it means for consumers and customers and human beings rather than being super focused on the solution, but really focus on the problem, focus on the opportunity and use that focus to really inspire solutions. There's a lot around creativity, around being really iterative, around trying prototypes in the marketplace in ways that are going to manage the risk of lots of time and money spent on something that customers won't adopt. And then it's really being sort of like cyclical and dynamic and iterative with all these steps. So it's a continuous process of improvement. So it's really cool. I, I encourage people to, to read about it, to take a beginning workshop. There's tons of resources out there online and elsewhere. That's great. Thank you. And I have had the pleasure of attending one of Holly's facilitation workshops where she incorporates some of this design thinking strategy into the workshop. And it was one of my first experiences uh, with a various blend of uh, tools that you brought to the table for facilitation. It was a fantastic workshop. So I was grateful to have the opportunity to, to see some of these tools that you bring to the table to help people sort of think differently and explore areas that they might not have thought of in the past. Something that Holly said that I gravitate towards is that this foundation of design thinking strategy focuses on the human aspect. I couldn't think of a time where this is more relevant than now. Now is the time to focus on humanizing our work experience. With this in mind, I wondered what experiences Holly has navigated in 
getting to a positive outcome with her clients through a change process. Yeah, you picked up on that human-centered thing, which is really important. There's lots of different flavors and varieties of design thinking. I don't get hung up on the exact methodology, but I will say that they are all, I think, intended to be human-centered, as you say, and that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But when you put another human being at the center of a solution, it does take on a different flavor than I think a lot of the work that we we've done traditionally does. And in my work, I'm fascinated, as I mentioned, by this intersection of innovation, which design thinking is normally used for, and organizational change, especially in large organizations. This usually is what a lot of large enterprises call transformation, sometimes digital transformation, sometimes agile transformation. These are usually centered in tech organizations, which by and large, in my experience, have not engaged in or embraced change management practices by definition. And in my experience, I found they typically do not understand how it can help. And this is really to their peril. And it really fascinates and animates a lot of my work because of what we've been talking about, because I think there is a tremendous amount of creativity that's left on the table that isn't tapped because these organizations haven't figured out how to engage people and tap into their creative confidence. It's funny, I was just a few days ago talking with a coach in a large, I'll just say a large household name automaker who said he was a consultant or an outside coach for this automaker who had been doing transformation for over 10 years and they still hadn't figured it out. So think about that. They're consultants who have been there supposedly helping them drive one change or another for 10 years and they're really still struggling with it. And to me, this represents kind of the worst (laughs) of consulting Because our business model should be about helping people change and get better, but not being air cover for a lack of progress. So I don't know the details. I'm making some assumptions here. But my hypothesis based on what I've seen is that a lot of this boils down to the fact that they haven't considered or addressed the people side of transformation. And that can lead to a lot of false starts. It really harms leaders' credibility. It sends a message that the change isn't for real, that it's not really important. And I think a lot of people get used to sort of waiting things out because they don't really want to change and they don't see why they should change. Keep your heads down and avoid the whole thing. So that's been my experience with a, with too many transformations and uh, where the real underlying habits mindsets, worldviews, whatever you want to say, of people in the organization are not materially changing, the labels may change, but the substance isn't changing. So I've seen this dynamic play out so many times, and I'm really, really motivated to stop that cycle. And I think being more human-centered is really one of the keys. I love that Holly said the labels have changed, but the substance hasn't. But circling back to Holly's experiences, 
I want to know what some of the challenges are for the companies she consults and if they have overcome those challenges. Hopefully, it doesn't take every company 10 years to do so. Probably the biggest challenge is a little unexpected. And that is, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that is the internal confusion and lack of alignment towards what managing change really means. And oftentimes it has to do with a lack of clarity on who is actually responsible for quote unquote managing change. In a lot of places where I've seen transformation or a lack thereof, there's actually confusion about the changes and why they matter. And I've seen too many organizations do what I call clean up on aisle seven method of change. And that's where there's basically no consideration given to the change, okay? They just barrel through and they're gonna deal with whatever consequences are there after the fact, like no matter how painful. And I think that this may be deliberate sometimes, it may be inadvertent sometimes, it's just that they don't know and they haven't seen effective change. And so it's just not something that they reach for in in a lot of cases. In pinpointing communication as key, I couldn't agree more. If you're familiar with our tenants, Tenant 3 deals with crafting meaningful messages or effectively communicating with the company the changes that will occur and how the company is going to go about going through those changes. Even if you have the best change management strategy, it won't work if you just don't relay it to people. Holly expands on this. Another huge challenge that may or may not be expected is there is a lot of angst in organizations about whose responsibility it is to address or manage change. In other words, who gets to decide how the organization is going to manage and and address the changes throughout a big transformation? There have been many times where the human resources organization might say, you know, we've got this. Change is our responsibility. We're good. But it's questionable whether that's really true because they're dealing with a lot, right? HR is, is a very, very busy group in most organizations. Or in other cases, the communications group feels like it's their bailiwick. So, hey, just add it to our list. Changes, just communications, right? And in certain cultures, that is very understandable because they have very longstanding human resources and communications teams. And no one wants to feel like there's yet another group or department who's infringing on their scope and their territory and taking the credit. So that, Jennifer, is what makes it hard sometimes, I think, for change management folks to make an offer, educate, find their territory or their scope, and really help other people out. And kind of keeps everyone in the dark, right? Because senior leaders in these cases don't have a clear vision about how to harness all of these teams together to drive change. So this is a comment on a lot of cultures, and I know it can sound pretty negative, but I think we have to be a lot more honest about these dynamics so we can shine a light on them, get better, really talk about them. I would love to engage in dialogue around this because I think that if organizations can sort some of this out, it becomes so much easier to approach change with the thoughtful care that it deserves and 
I think we need to make leading change a much more revered and respected kind of leadership across organizations. Holly said there can sometimes be too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to change management. It reminds me of Tenant 7, Building Resiliency. This tenant speaks to the idea that you can plan and build a change management function within the organization itself that can handle much of the planning, messaging, and execution for a variety of change programs. This sometimes can look like a business transformation office, an M&A function, a continuous improvement office, or simply a change management office. If you have a dedicated group that's focused on the task of helping the rest of the organization understand what change is happening and how they need to prepare for it or how they need to respond to it, then when change happens, the organization doesn't need to be in a panic or scramble. As unfortunately, new variants of COVID are popping up, I think we can all agree that there will be changes that continue through this fall and for years to come perhaps drastic or perhaps minor. With her unique background and experiences, Holly tells me about a time in which there was a difficult change for a company she was working with and how leaders handled it. I've definitely learned a lot. I've had some great mentors in my career who have taught me a ton about how to manage change. And as part of like a very large merger and acquisition, that uh, that was happening within an organization where I was working, I had a chance to mentor with someone who had developed an incredible sort of repeatable toolkit for managing change. And one of the things that I loved about his approach is that it was all about centering leaders. And it was really all about how to be a support system for leaders who could then manage the change with their teams. And in this case, it was an actual site closure. It was a reduction in force. This site, I think it was several hundred people, would be closing down. There weren't any other real nearby locations so that if someone had to stay in the area, they would be leaving the company. Some people did not. They they were able to move, but many people were not. And so it was a really tough change. It was a process of working with those leaders and giving them the tools to get through the change curve on their own, but then giving them a set of super simple tools to practice with their teams to help them successfully cope with the change, get through their own change curve in one piece and then move on to the next phase of their their lives and their careers. And it's just a very simple but thoughtful toolkit. And it was about taking the time to connect with people, build trust, discuss this set of tools, and give the leaders everything that they needed to be able to put those, those tools into place. And so the leaders grew as a, a result of the process. The organization stabilized as a result of that process, and they had the people in place to successfully shut down the site. Not everyone went screaming, you know, from the site out of frustration. People actually stayed long enough to like 
translate processes and transfer work and integrate everything that they needed to from that site into the larger organization. So it was really, really cool to see and experience that. I think there's a lot to learn from that story, especially in how leaders can treat their team in challenging times. If there's one thing I really believe strongly about, it's that trust is the most essential quality to leading a successful team. Whether the company is currently struggling or they're flourishing, a lack of trust in a leader can always erode or derail a mission. Holly dives a little further into how those leaders and her example built that trust despite the circumstances. Sharing what you know and what you don't know was one of the tools in in that toolkit of, of helping the leaders lead change. So I think leading change is so, so difficult and leaders do need a lot of support and they deserve support to get through that process. And, and they don't normally know how. We all have to learn things like that. And leaders have to learn how to show up during times of change and what they can do that's helpful and what's not helpful. We've talked about Holly's experiences and some of the skill sets she's learned. So how can organizations actually implement these tools to help them grow and excel? I think one of the things that is really important is to stop having so many meetings. And and here's why. So I think what happens in a lot of organizations that I have seen and I've worked closely with is people stay in meetings literally the entire day. and it can get really insular in an organization. Maybe this has been part of organization strategies over the years to kind of create a stickiness with the culture. Pre-pandemic times, you know, you create this incredible campus and you have everything you want on the campus and you could have gourmet food at all hours and coffee and cupcakes. And, you know, that was certainly, at least with really large organizations, that was where the trend was happening. What organizations miss out from that is people really need the ability to do external research on their own. They need time to think. They need time to look on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook groups. Like they need time that is not built into meetings. They need to be able to research. And those are the kinds of things that I think organizations should allow their staff to understand some of the competitive threats out there, understand the industry trends, understand how that fits into their goals. I think these these types of things are really important. So true. And it, it reminds me of yet another important component, which is to empower people. And part of empowering people is to give people the headspace to think about something that they can do to create a better outcome for the organization. I I couldn't agree more that there are too many, there's sort of this expectation that you need to be around on Zoom all day. And when do people actually have time to think? Because that's actually when the magic happens. So thank you for sharing those thoughts. Appreciate it. I couldn't agree more about the magic. And it's it's so essential. And it's such a great opportunity, right, that we could take advantage of right now when we are many of us still working at home. And so I hope we don't, we can take advantage of that in organizations. Before we wrap up for today, I want to ask Holly, what are three things a leader can do to not just survive, but thrive and change? You know, Jennifer, it goes back to something that you said earlier. And what I've seen is that 
because of some of what we've talked about, leaders can be in a little bit of a bubble when it comes to leading change. For whatever reason, they're not always seeing change as one of their priorities or main goals. If they then delegate change to someone else, whether that is a change management function or HR or communications or an external consultant, it's a pretty big problem because it allows them to sort of punt and a little bit abdicate their leadership. And I think this is a great opportunity where they can learn and grow as leaders and really shine. And so the three lead things that leaders can do that I think would go a really long way. First is just recognize that change is actually their job. <laughs> Maybe the most important job rather than a side of desk thing that is kind of out there and maybe they'll get to it. Maybe they won't. So that's number one. Two, I think talk to people in your organization leader and get to know them. So you mentioned trust earlier. You mentioned connection. I do think leaders need to connect with enough people at a deeper level to understand how do they view the current state? How are they likely to view change? And what do they need to be able to get to the end state or the promised land or whatever you want to call the future? And so I think it's related to that. It's sharing way more context about the business realities, the nature of the change, why it's important to change. I don't always think leaders are confident about some of that on their own first. And they need to be confident enough to to then share and give all that precious context about the change over and over again. The third thing I will say is leaders need to go first, meaning they need to demonstrate in every way that they not only want the change to happen, but that they are making the change, embracing the change, even struggling with the change. So a lot of people need someone else to go first, and that needs to be leaders. And people won't trust change is real without seeing their leaders do it. And they certainly won't trust if they see their leaders like hesitating. I call it dabbling. Like they're not really sure where to place their kids. (laughs) So they're going to kind of not go all in, but they need to go all in. I have been through so many transformations where the leaders aren't out there touting all the behaviors or they're out there touting the behaviors, I should say, but they're not practicing them clearly or living them. And that's really confusing for people. So I think they need to be touting them, but they also need to be modeling them. So that's the third thing. Oh, I like that. So uh, let me see if I can briefly recap and keep me honest here. First of all, a leader needs to understand that this is their job. Change management is their job. It's not a sideshow if you're leading a significant enough change. Second, talk to your people, get to know your people, figure out where their head is at in this. And third, go first as a leader. They're not going to follow if... uh, not likely to follow the change if their leader is not embracing the change. Those were three really powerful tips. And hopefully I summarized them close enough, but your words were much better. No, you did great. Well done. <sighs> awesome. Well, thank you. Those are those are great tips. I love those. And I probably will be using or borrowing some of those as I remind some of our clients about the importance of their role 
in leading change. And I might actually say, I think you should listen to this episode of my podcast. Feel free. Because I'm not the only one who, uh, <laughs> who says this. So anyway, how can uh, companies get a hold of you, Holly, if they have more questions or just want to connect with you? I always love to connect on LinkedIn because I love to see what people are are liking and supporting and talking about there. That's great. Uh, they can find me on Twitter. They can send me an email or text me at 804-929-7391. I always like to get texts and any of those works, but a lot of people do tend to contact me on LinkedIn. Great. Awesome. Well, it was awesome to talk to Holly Chasen Young. I'm so glad that she was able to come on the show today. And actually, folks, if you mention this podcast to Holly when you reach out to her, she's offering a 10% discount on one of her super, super design thinking workshops. These are workshops that really can help teams with innovation and creative solutioning. If you want to learn more about design thinking in general and how to apply it in change management engagements, Holly's offering a free 30-minute consultation. Thank you so much, Holly, for joining us today. It's been so much fun to catch up with you. I always enjoy our conversations. Likewise, it was a joy to be with you and your audience. And I look forward to hearing more of your episodes. Oh, thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening this week and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.